Open your Bibles, whether you have the good old-fashioned kind or you have it on your phone, open your Bibles of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4 is where we'll be at today, and so you want to be there with us. We've been walking on this journey, going through this great letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, told Timothy, Timothy, here's how the church is supposed to operate. We call it the playbook the play manual, the direction, the instruction book, so to speak. And so today, uh, as we get into our text today, Paul really starts going in deep on us. He really starts to kind of bring out a challenge to Timothy. He says, Timothy, here's what I need from you, and here's what I need from the church. And so he really presses in. Today, as we begin, I want you to consider this thought. President Calvin Coolidge, he once invited friends from his hometown to dine at the White House. And his friends, they were worried about their table manager. Like, we're going to go with the president. We don't know what to do and what's right and what's not right. And so they decided the best thing to do is we'll watch what President Coolidge does. And whatever he does, then we'll follow and we'll do the same thing. That went really well until after supper, they decided to have a cup of coffee. And coffee came around and was delivered. And President Coolidge took his coffee and poured, poured a little bit on top of his saucer. And on top of his saucer, then he added a little bit of sugar and a little bit of cream and kind of mixed it up. Well, they all followed and thought, well, he's doing that, so we'll do it. Don't know what this is about. But they poured coffee on top of the saucer. And then President Coolidge reached over and put a saucer on a plate for his cat. And they realized the example we just followed didn't work so well. They were following his example, and that was probably a pretty wise thing to do until you realize we went a little bit too far with this. Let me ask you. What example are you setting and what example are you following? What example are you setting for those around you and then who are you following? There is such power in example. John MacArthur wrote in his book, The Footsteps of Faith, he said example is the most powerful rhetoric. The single greatest tool of spiritual leadership is the power of exemplary life. Along with the principles for living that the Bible gives us, we need models to follow because we tend to be creatures led more by pattern than precept. We are better at following a pattern or a model than we are at fleshing out a precept or a principle. That's true, isn't it? So much easier to follow somebody else and model our life after somebody else than it is figuring it all out on our own. Heinrich Heine, a skeptical German poet, said, You show me your redeemed life, and I might be inclined to believe your Redeemer. I might. Looking at the life of people who call themselves to be Christians, and he says, I'm looking at your life. You can speak all you want, you can say all you want, but I'm looking at your character, I'm looking at who you are, I'm looking at how you handle your life. In the text this morning, Paul speaks about the importance of example, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Why does he say that? Well, because Timothy was young. He was a younger man of faith. Remember, Paul's kind of the father of faith, and he's mentoring Timothy, and he's, he's telling Timothy, here's how you do ministry. He says, so don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. He says, don't let anyone look down on you're young. Go out and set an example. In other words, he's telling Peter, he's like, hey, he's telling, you, you be, he's telling Timothy, you be a pattern. You set a pattern. You be a good, good example for people to follow. Now, all of us are patterns. All of us in this room are examples. Some good, some not so good. 
What kind of example are you today? The poet wrote, you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by deeds that you do, by words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? Someone looks at your life, what kind of gospel message, Jesus message are you carrying? The question really kind of wrestles down to this, is what kind of church would center point Christian church be if everyone were just like you? If you're the pattern to follow, what kind of church would we be? If everyone was as as involved as you are, if everyone spent the same amount of time in the Word and prayer that you do each day, if everyone demonstrated your level of faithfulness in church attendance, if everyone was ministering the way that you minister, if everyone gave like you give, if everyone witnessed like you witnessed, if everyone loved Jesus like you loved Him, what kind of church would we be? That can be a tough question. If I'm the example to follow, what kind of church will we be? What kind of people are we growing? How do you live the Christian life? Now, let me just tell you, church, the words that we're wrestling with today in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and this whole book, this whole letter, is written to Christians. Paul writes a letter to Timothy, who's a pastor. He's telling Timothy, here's the message I want you to share with the church. And so this is written to those who claim Jesus as Savior. This is written to those who say, I believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so if you're in this room today and you're a Christian, then these words are written directly to us. If you're in this room today and you say, I'm not sure if I'm a Christian yet. I'm still wrestling with that. I'm still seeking. I'm still searching. Then you know you're going to know today part of the call, the high call of being Christians that we're supposed to be living. And so we're glad you're here today. You're investigating. But these words, you kind of get off the hook, so to speak, if you're not a believer in Jesus yet. Because you get to say, okay, I understand what the call is now. But if you're a Christian in this room, we can't let each other off the hook on what Paul's talking about today. We must step up to what he's calling us to do. People ought to be an example To look at your life, if you're a Christian, and say, that's an example that I can follow. That's someone I can imitate. Now, what we tend to do in our society is they, oh, don't put me up on a pedestal. Don't look at my life. I trip, I stumble, I fall, I mess up, I sin, I do this. Don't try to follow me. But that's not what Scripture tells us. 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, you set an example for the believers. In 1 Peter 5, Peter Peter told the elders to be shepherds of God's flocks, and he says, you be an example for them to follow. In Philippians 3.17, Paul told them, join with others in following my example, brothers. He said, you look at me. 1 Corinthians 4.16 says, therefore I urge you to imitate me. Man, doesn't that sound awful arrogant? Who of us would raise our hand and say, hey, you follow me? I don't think we want to, do we? You look at my life, look at me, because I got my eyes on Christ, and I'm pursuing Christ, and I may trip, and I may stumble, and I may fall, but I'm going to live out the gospel message. I'm going to live out a life in Christ, and so you look at me, and then you follow me. That's what Paul said. Paul said, you follow me as I follow Christ in 1 Corinthians 11. That's boldness. And Paul knew it. Paul knew I I messed up. He's the one that said to me, I do the things I don't want to do. And that whole do-do passage, he's like, why do I try to do good and I do bad? I try not to sin and I still sin. And he still looked at people and said, follow me as I follow Christ. He says, I'm pursuing Christ with all that I have. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on him. I'm going to trip and stumble. 
but I'm also going to show you how to overcome those trips and stumbles. I'm going to show you when I bang my head and I stub my toe how I get back on track again so that I keep walking in Christ. He says, you look at me, and that's a call for us. He says, you set an example, Peter. Timothy set an example. That's carried on us. Five areas where he talks about setting an example. Speech. What you say and how you say it. You know, it's not always what you say. Sometimes what you say just comes out, but sometimes it's just in how you say it. How you handled it. Ephesians 4 says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Let me stop there for a minute. <clears throat> UK lost yesterday. What came out of your mouth during that game? I was at the game yesterday, and I was sitting around some people that there was some language coming out of there that was not very helpful. It was not very clean. But, I, you know, I've been around church people, and a game is on, and for some reason, well, we can just let it go now. It's just a game, right? Just a game, no big deal. When you're sitting at home and you're watching it on television or you're listening on the radio or whatever you're doing, what's coming out of your mouth? It says, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, what we speak should build people up. Otherwise, close our mouth. I mean, Brian's interpretation of that passage is shut up unless you've got something good to say. That's what Paul's saying. Close your mouth unless you're going to say something that's going to help others out. If not, then shut it. In Colossians 4, Paul says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. In other words, be gentle in your speech. What's your speech been like lately? Would your speech around the water cooler, would your speech on social media, would your speech in your home, would your speech with how you talk to your wife or how you talk to your husband or how to talk to your kids, would your speech lead others to Jesus Christ? Is it an example that someone says, I want to follow? Because that's what this passage is about. We're leading others towards Jesus Christ. Then he goes on and says conduct. Another word for conduct is our life. Our life. First Peter five or First Peter 1.15 says, so, so be holy in all you do. Be holy. In other words, be like God. Be like Christ in all you do. Not in some things, not just choosing a few things here and there, but in all you do, you be holy. John MacArthur says a biblical message paired with an ungodly lifestyle is nothing but blatant hypocrisy. So you say, I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior, then holiness should be what you're striving towards, what you're working towards. And when there's unholiness, it should make you sick to your stomach to go, I've got to make some changes with my team. You know who your team is, right? You have God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. You have a team to do this with. You don't have to do it by yourself. And so you say, I'm going to work on my speech. I'm going to work on my conduct. We're not left alone. There needs to be consistency between what we say and what we do. In today's culture, it does not work. And parents, it does not work to say, do as I say, not as I do. We've all heard that before. But in today's culture, people are looking at us and going, are you for real? Do you really believe in what you say? Does your life really exemplify it? Because if not, if you say you're a Christian, but you look like the rest of the world, why would I want your God? 
And that is so prevalent in our society today. We've got to set an example. Every aspect of our life as a Christian, we ought to be that pattern. And then he goes on and says love. He says you set an example in speech, in conduct, and in love. John 13, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you what? You love one another. How we treat one another. Now, that's written to Christians. There, there ought to be something different about us. One of the worst things is example for this world that needs Jesus is a church that is fighting and bickering. Praise God that's not part of center. Now, have we had our little moments? Yeah. But it surely doesn't control the church. But when a church starts fighting and bickering and that gets out in the community, it gets out in the news, that ruins a testimony for everybody who calls themselves a Christian. That's not supposed to be part of God's church. When people look at you, can they tell the love of Jesus is inside of you? Do people see a genuine love for the Lord and a love for other people? Look what Jesus said. He said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. And he says to what? To pray for those who persecute you. Paul was writing to Timothy, telling Timothy, listen, you're dealing with some tough people. You're dealing with some false teaching. You're dealing with a church that's kind of a wreck. And he's telling them, listen, you got to love these people. you got to walk with them in genuine love. And we all have opportunities like that every single day. All of us need to be able to give out a little bit more grace. You know we're all G EGRs, right? You all know what an EGR is? Extra grace required. Put that in your notes. Say, I am an EGR. Because we all need it. We needed God's extra grace for Jesus to go to the cross, to cover our sin. And every single day, we need a little bit more grace because there are times when I'm not loving. There are times when I speak ill will to somebody. There are times when I trip and I stumble and I fall. And there's times when you do that too. And what do you need? You need grace from somebody. And that person that you interact with at work that you're like, man, I can't stand being around him I can't stand being around her. God has you an opportunity to grow. God has you right dead smack an opportunity to show someone love. When you're dealing with your spouse and they're kind of unloving, God has you right in the middle of the spot to demonstrate love and give out grace. When you're dealing with your children and your children are doing things that are driving you up the wall, God's giving you an opportunity again to demonstrate grace and give out love. It's kind of interesting. I've had a few conversations the last couple of weeks with people who are dealing with some difficult people in their lives. And they sit down and they say, Brian, i got to tell you what's going on. And they go on about this person is so difficult and they're doing this to me and they're doing that to me and I can't believe they're doing that. And I listen, try to be a real nice pastor, you know, listen, listen. And I'm thinking inside, you have an opportunity to love. And they get done. I say, can I tell you what I think? Yeah, tell me what you think. I think God has you right dead smack in the middle of an opportunity to love. And they're like, what? No, I can't be here. No. When you're going through a hard time, you have difficult people in your life, God is giving you the opportunity to grow in love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and love what? Your neighbor as yourself. And so when you're in the middle of those hard people, EGRs, God's saying, give a little bit extra grace. I gave it to you. Will you give it to somebody else? We need to set example love. But last, he says faith. He says, you said example, speech, conduct, love. He says, faith. Now, this doesn't refer to your belief of faith. This refers to a faithfulness or an unworthy commitment. 
It's that I stay the course no matter what's coming at me. That, that even though I go through a tough time, there's still an enthusiasm inside of me because I know that my eyes are still on Christ. It's the idea that when difficulties are coming my way, finances are hitting hard, health challenges are hitting, marriage challenges are hitting, stress is piling up. I don't waver away from my walk with God. I don't waver away from my faith. I have my eyes on a target, and the target is Jesus Christ. And I'm going through it, and I know tough stuff is coming from all angles, but I don't waver from my faith. And when someone looks at me and says, how are you handling that situation? I look straight at them and say, it's because of the power of God working inside of me. Testimony then comes out in that. How did you handle losing your job? How did you handle losing your mom? How did you handle losing your spouse? How did you handle when you were told you have cancer? How did you walk through that? And when I see you, I still see like this joy and happiness. I only do it because of the power of God that's inside of me. And they're like, what are you talking about? But our world doesn't see that today. See, most of the people I know that are Christians today, are not in danger of anybody saying they become fanatic Lord for Jesus Christ. Not. Most of us that are Christians, we look just like the world. And I'm afraid to say if we were put up on the stand and we were being judged and questioned, are they a fanatic for Jesus Christ? We might fail. Because we're looking just like the world. We ought to have a, a red-hot love for the Lord and Jesus Christ and set an example of our faith and our faithfulness that people look at us and go, man, there's something different about him. There's something different about her. I want what they have. I desire what they have. That we're living that hot for God, that they see that in us. And then he says purity. Now, before I talk about purity, let me, let me just remind you, church. These words are written to Christians. So if you're not a Christian, you're kind of off the hook. You really are, until you make the commitment to Christ. But if you've made a commitment to Christ and you say, I'm a Christian, then you know the call of purity that I'm going to talk about here in just a moment. And so as I talk about purity here today, these are the words of Paul. It comes right from God Almighty, that he desires purity in our life. We don't go by current opinion or the standards of today, church. We can't do that. We're called to live a life of holiness. We're called to live a life of righteousness. We're called to live a life of purity. And Paul was instructing the church. And in this area with Timothy, he's giving very specifically about purity. And especially what he's talking about is sexual purity. Why sexual purity? Because Timothy, as a young man who is single, his hormones are running a little crazy. And there's women all over the church who are running crazy. And there's all kinds of different people coming to different philosophies. And he's telling Timothy, you as a young man, you choose a pure lifestyle, especially when it comes to sexuality. And Paul writes this to the church in 1 Thessalonians when he says, For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a life of holiness. He says in 2 Timothy, he says, Flee the evil desires of youth. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He's calling Timothy and saying, Timothy, you make sure that you stay sexually pure. You make sure that you wait for marriage, is what he's saying, before you enter into the sexual relationship. Now, I know, church, this is so countercultural. 
And the reason why I speak to it, because it's right here in our text, and you cannot just skip over it and go, I'm not going to talk about it, but our world needs Christians who stand up for purity today. We need to stand up for it. There may be people all around you who are engaged in immorality when it comes to sexual purity, living with someone who you're not married with. i got to tell you, church, that's not God's plan. And if we're going to follow the playbook and he calls the plays, then we say, God, you call the play there. I don't understand it, but I'll follow it. And God, it's crazy hard sometimes. There are people in the church who they live together. They're having babies outside of marriage. And that's not God's plan. God has a much better plan for us, church. May I just say to moms and dads, many times what happens is we go through a divorce and we're raising our kids. And then we say, well, I found this man or I found this woman. And we start shacking up or we start hooking up with little nights here and little nights there. You're just set an example for your children. And your children are watching. Your children knows what go, they know what's going on. And we set an example for them. We want our children to choose purity when it comes to sexuality. Then we must do the same even though we're in our adult years. Why does he refer back to what you did in your youth in 2 Timothy? Because in our youth, we know how hard that is. We know the temptation that comes. And he's saying, listen, you choose purity here. That's God's plan. That's the best way. Now, let me also say, though, there's a lot of extra grace in God. So if you're walking in that, God wants you to repent. He wants you to turn from it. It's not the abominable sin. It's not the unpardonable sin. It's not like, oh, I hate you. But God says, I have a much better plan. Would you embrace my plan for purity? And then we lead that in that example. Now, you know, I have conversations with adults who say, Brian, you don't understand. I'm single. You know, truth be told, I don't understand. I've been married for forever now. (laughs) 24 years. (laughs) And so I don't understand being 40 years old and single and going, what's it like out there? But what I hear is, oh my goodness, Brian, you don't understand. There's no men staying pure. There's no women staying pure. That's impossible. That's a dream. That's a pipe dream. It's not going to happen. Da, 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 da. Trust God. You're in that 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Now, wait a minute. You know sexual diseases are running rampant amongst our senior population? Running rampant. Trust God. Say, God, if you want me to have someone in my life, provide that person who's a person of purity. Provide that person who has their eyes on Jesus Christ. Provide that person who wants Christ to be at the center. And you trust God and you follow his ways and he'll provide in his timing. Don't follow the standard of the world. So he says in speech, conduct, life, love, faith, and purity, be a pattern. And then he says, show your progress. Look at verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Well, look what he says. He says, be diligent in these things so what? So people can see your progress. In other words, as a Christian, as you go through life and you grow with God, there should be what? There should be progress. Someone say, man, you know, you're more calm. You're, you're a lot more patient. Your language is a lot more calm. You don't get as angry as easily. Well, things are changing. You know, I see you growing. It should be an example that there's some progress. Verse 15 says, be diligent in these matters. It means to give yourself wholeheartedly to them. 
Give yourself wholeheartedly to these things. What do we give ourselves wholeheartedly to? To the Word of God, he says in verse 13. Now, the primary application of this, pa of this passage right here is written to the pastor because he's saying, Timothy, I want you to do this. But it also applies to those who follow because if he's telling Timothy, I want you to do this, he's saying, hey, listen, lift this up in the church. And he gives them the three, what's known as a threefold assignment. He says the public reading of Scripture. He says, be devoted to that. Right? They didn't have Bibles. They didn't have the printed word like we have it today. They surely didn't have Bible apps. It wasn't at their fingertip at any beck and moment. And so they read the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God is authority for life. And so they'd hold it up to read it and say, this is God's authority. Why do we put it on a screen? Why do we read it often? Why are my messages filled with the Word of God? Because I'm not smart enough to tell you anything else. I heard a little one. First service wasn't there with me. They're like, you guys don't need to know what Brian Bolton thinks. You need to know. That's enough. <laughs> you need the Word of God in your life. And my hope is that when we open it on Sunday morning and we read it and you see different verses on the screen and you're reading it, my hope is that you would get hungry and say, i got to open this thing at home. Wow, he said that and that's in the Bible? Whoa, i got to go home and read that some more. There is no reason in our culture today to not be in the Word of God. None whatsoever. Preaching. Exhortation. He says, you be devoted, Timothy, to public reading Scripture, preaching, challenging people to apply the truths that they, from the Word of God, practical motivation. Paul says uh, that the Lord changes lives through the foolishness of preaching. It, it blows my mind to think that God has put me in the place of preaching now for 15 years. It's just crazy to think I've been preaching. I look back and go, man, I was a C student in high school. I was a C student in college. I'm like, God, I am so glad that you are smart enough to take your word, take the preaching of foolishness, and you change lives. He uses that. And so what we do today, and, and we receive this in our week, is exactly what he told the church to do. Teaching, exposition, that's doctrine. That's the systematic teaching of the Word of God. That's helping people understand the doctrines of Scripture. He says, you teach people this. You keep bringing this forward. Now, primarily, he was talking to Timothy in that, but the secondary application of that is, Timothy, I want you to do that because I want people to embrace the Word of God. I want you to read the Word of God. I want you to engage with it every single day. Now, around here, the app that I recommend is the YouVersion Bible app. Let me see by show of hands. Who has the YouVersion Bible app on your phone? Right. You need to put that on your phone. If not that one, find another one. There's several good ones. I love the YouVersion Bible app because of all the different Bible reading plans. In the last two years or so, I've really been engaging with that more. I love it how you can search out a topic and say, uh, anger, I've been dealing with that. You search out anger, there's a Bible reading plan for seven days or 14 days. Oh, I I'm dealing with doubt. Let me search out doubt. And there's a Bible reading plan about doubt. What does the scripture say about it? Oh, I'm dealing with some parenting issues. Let me put in parenting. I'm trying to love people. You can find all the Bible reading plans. You say, you know what? I want to read through the Bible. As you put in, read through the Bible. You can do that in the next 90 days, next six months, the next year, the next three years. Do it at a pace that you like, but it keeps you on track to be in the Word of God. You say, I want to read through the New Testament. Well, there's a 40-day reading plan. There's a 60-day reading plan. There's a six-month reading plan just to go through the New Testament. I just want to read the Gospels. I want to know about Jesus. You dream of the topic, 
And it's in that Bible app. And you can put a couple of friends on there and you can share a Bible plan together. We did that earlier this year. And you can have comments in there and you can discuss the Bible together. See, what happens is you start putting the Bible inside of you and then God uses that. He uses your life. But if you don't put anything inside, there's nothing to be used. And so when you put it inside, then your team goes to work. Who's our team? God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. They go to work and you work with your team because the Word of God is inside of you. Then he says the gift of God. Verse 14, the primary application to Timothy was you use your gift. 1 Corinthians 12 says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I know this to be true. If you are in Christ, God has given you at least one spiritual gift. At least. I imagine you probably have three, four, five, six, seven spiritual gifts. And God didn't give you those gifts just to set them on the sidelines. He didn't give you the gifts to neglect the gift. He gave you the gifts to be used for his kingdom and for his purpose. And he's telling Timothy, Timothy, you use your gift to build up the church. You use your gift. Don't neglect it. You know what happens when you neglect a gift? Sits on a sideline, gets all rusty. Becomes very ineffective. I think about growing up and playing basketball, and I played basketball from as little as I could be up until through you know, college for sure, and then started playing in adult leagues and all that kind of stuff. But I haven't touched a basketball seriously probably in 10 years. If I go out now and try to shoot a free throw, I might hit 3 or 4 out of 10. You used to be able to hit about 80 out of, 8 out of 10. You used to be able to shoot about you know, 30 40% just shooting three-pointers, three hitting them. I don't know if I can hit one out of ten three-pointers now. You're going to shoot a layup, it's going to feel funny. I try to jump, it's going to be weird because I'm not playing basketball. The gift that I had is it's neglected. We tend to do that with our gifts with God. Well, we don't use it. It gets all rusty. God doesn't want your gift to get rusty. He has given you a gift to use for his kingdom and for his purpose. 1 Peter 4 says each one should use whatever gift he has given, received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So Paul's telling Timothy, you use your gift to build a church. Use your gift so that God's message is carried forward. He says, be a pattern, show your progress. And lastly, he says, know your purpose. Look at verse 16. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearer. He gets into what's this purpose of being an example? What is the purpose of being an example? It's so you can be delivered from a life of unfruitfulness. He says, here's the importance of it. He says, you watch yourself. Moral authority comes from moral purity. He's like, you watch out for that. You live, live this life as an example. And then he says, then the impact of it is, is that you are rescuing yourself and your hearers. In other words, your walk with God will get on fire and you'll help other people get on fire. 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. Paul says, this is training. You know, growing in God and being hot for God doesn't just happen by osmosis. It, it happens day by day by growing in God, doing the things like I'm going to be in worship. I'm going to have quiet time. I'm going to be in a small group. I'm going to start memorizing some scripture. I'm going to read the word of God. I'm going to be a person of prayer. And I want to practice that over and over and over and over again until I get good at it. And then, his, then the team goes to work inside of you as you're going through that. And you start getting molded and you start getting shaped. And then you become an example to follow. Stood in the back hallway with two 
men, one being Jeff, who's 47 years old, and then Haynes, who's 11. I looked at both of them after being baptized and said, you know, God has uh, just blessed you with something tremendous. I said, Jeff, you get a chance to be an example to your dad. Brian, I said, uh, first time they've been in church together in 47 years. I said, you get a chance to be an example to your dad to show him what it means to be a man now of faith. I said, Haynes, I said, you're going to be an example to friends, but you also have a dad sitting next to you. I said, you look at your dad. He's your example. As Jeremy said, oh, that's a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure, church. That's what we're supposed to be, though, for this world. And that's what we're supposed to be for each other. We pursue Christ so that someone can look at me and say, man, look at how they're pursuing Christ. I can grow. I can see what they're doing. I'm going to do the same thing. And most of us, we learn by seeing. Edgar Guest wrote this great poem and said, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show the way. For the eyes a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Good counsel is confusing. But example, it's always clear. And best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see good put into action is what everybody needs. I can soon learn how to do it if you let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. And the lectures you deliver may be very fine and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I may misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. Church, this world will not misunderstand when they see you really live for Christ. They may not accept it. They may not like it. But when you really live for Christ, you set an example. When you do that for your children, you do that for your spouse. See, verse 16, what it's really saying is if you watch your life and your doctrine closely, you can be that positive example and you'll deliver yourself and those who hear you from a life of unfruitfulness to a life with God. Church, I pray that Centerpoint will embrace being an example of Christ and say, I want to live a life of holiness. So when people look at the Centerpoint Christian Church in this community, they go, that's a church that's really pursuing God, really pursuing holiness. Bow your heads with me in prayer.